Becoming state proof. That's what we're going to be talking about today with David Ansaro, who's the chief executive of the Free Market Foundation. He gave a talk yesterday in downtown Johannesburg in the CBD at the old Rand Club that people of my generation will remember. And it was one of those that demanded, I hope received, a standing ovation. We're going to talk to him in a moment. David, good to be talking with you. Did you get a standing ovation to your talk? Well, there was a, some polite applause from the audience, but also some very welcome uh, interrogation of some of the ideas that are put forward. I think I uh, always welcome that, I must say. It's uh, good to, to have, uh, as they say in South Africa, a robust engagement uh, over some of the ideas that we put forward at the Free Market Foundation. Okay, well, and the occasion? So the RAND Club has actually gone through something of a renaissance in recent years, and they have a regular meeting called Off the Record. Uh, this uh, invitation came from Lucky Denake, who is the uh, the uh, chairman of the uh, of the membership committee. And I must say, the RAND Club is a fantastic institution. It's good to see it growing and and really uh, a center of excellence in downtown Johannesburg. Well, nice to hear that there is a center of excellence somewhere in that part of the country. But as one goes through the speech, which I read today in its entirety, you there's so much we could talk about, but I really want to focus on making yourself state-proof. There were some practical ideas there, some insights that are useful to all members of South African society, and some pretty controversial suggestions to those who I guess some might even see it as sedition. You know, you don't don't pay more tax than you have to pay, etc. Um, maybe we can we can start there. We can start on the um, the whole state proof idea. I remember talking to the guys at Sarkalicha about this a while ago, and you give them credit in your speech as well. When did you stumble onto this idea that state being being state proof in a failing state? is actually the only rational course of action. So Alec, one of the paradoxes that I point out in the speech is that as state capacity diminishes and the the, uh, capability of the state to administer basic services, to maintain law and order, to uphold the rule of law, but really the core functions of a state, like the, the, the real basis, as that begins to break down, we simultaneously also see the expansion of the state that the state is trying to involve itself in more and more domains. We think of economic policy, industrial policy is very interventionist. We have a lot of subsidies and trade barriers um, and also a raft of regulations in the labor market. We have BE, which puts huge burden on businesses. Um, and we see more and more of this expansion, but the state is really not able to perform even the simple uh, core functions that that in any uh, normal democratic state that, that you would have. So this represents, in some respects, this expansion, uh, a threat to the interests of ordinary South Africans, to individuals. Uh, we have uh, policies on the legislative agenda like national health insurance. Uh, there's expropriation without compensation, which is going to undermine private property rights. So all of these things are actually a threat to the fundamental 
rights of individuals, their ability to be uh, free. Uh, you had uh, Neil Emmerich, an associate of the FMF, on uh, the show, on your show uh, last week, talking about economic freedom of the world report. South Africa's ranking is is, is slipping down there. So that actually, uh, because the state has taken on more and more of these functions, that actually re- represents potentially very harmful consequences. So you need to protect your interests. You need to be realistic about the state's intentions. The state is not just this a neutral actor. It is a set of competing uh, interest groups, um, which is often actively has hostile, particularly to the private sector, profit motive, and uh, the, the the basic uh, ingredients that you need to have a, a prosperous uh, market-driven society. So this idea of state-proofing is also about uh, recognizing that the state is not a neutral actor, it is actually, in many respects, a malevolent actor. You need to uh, protect your uh, your assets, uh, your way of life, and your property from from some of those uh, malevolent actions. So that's the idea of state proofing. There's something that was uh, a term that was coined by Sarkulika, as you as you rightly point out, and and which I mentioned in the speech. Um, so we can maybe go through some of those if you like. Yeah, there's uh, quite a few practical suggestions, and uh, let's start with the one of avoid paying more taxes than you absolutely have to. Now, that sounds almost unpatriotic to some people, but when you when I reflected on that, a lot of our taxes are being stolen. The Zondo Commission tells us that. A lot of them are being abused and wasted. Uh, we can just have a look at the budget deficit, which is going to grow exproportionately, um, exponentially rather, in, in the next few years, as we know, the, the national debt, etc., so it's not such a bad idea. Give these guys less money and maybe then that will discipline them. But I guess you're not looking at it from the disciplining of the state perspective, but from the individual, from the rational individual's approach to it. Yeah, the the basic assumption of that social contract is that taxpayers pay their money and they get services in return and that those resources is a, a burden of responsibility on the state to manage those resources judiciously and, and effectively. We are a very long way off from that. Uh, so depriving the state of resources is very effective leverage for individuals and, and companies as well to uh, uh, drain power away from, from the state. So as I stressed in the speech, we're not advocating for uh, people to break the law, uh, but within the bounds of the law to lower the tax exposure as much as possible. You're a business owner. I'm sure many of your viewers own a business. Something that you could easily do is incorporate a holding company in a jurisdiction like Mauritius, which has a double taxation agreement with South Africa. They have a 15% corporate tax rate. Uh, you know, Through clever structuring, you can lower your, your tax exposure. We're also talking about, say, for example, at the local government level, uh, ratepayers associations increasingly uh, taking powers away from municipalities, particularly dysfunctional municipalities, um, and we see many rural municipalities in arrears to ESCOM for billions of rands, they don't have uh, uh, any capability really to pay back uh, those arrears. And so, but ratepayers are suffering because uh, there's sewage running down the street and the, the streetlights aren't working, the potholes are, are growing. Um, so what we're advocating for is instead of this kind of sense of despair and hopelessness that tends to uh, engulf many people. The state is failing in its basic functions. What can we do? There's nothing really we can do. 
we're encouraging individuals, businesses, and communities to take it upon themselves to start providing some of these services. And I mentioned organizations like Solidarity, AfriForum, uh, Sarkulika. Uh, these are all groups that at the local level are start, starting to solve problems themselves. They're not waiting for somebody else uh, to come and save them. I now live in Hermanus in the Western Cape, and I've been here for 10 months. And we've had two disastrous natural occurrences, the most recent just in the last few days, where literally bridges were washed away. When Mother Nature gets crossed, boy, she shows it to you. I was just thinking, again, reflecting on this, about what if something like this had happened, say, in the Eastern Cape? It's unlikely that you would have got things back to normal for a long, long time. So where you do have decent governance, and the Western Cape and certainly here in Hermanus, the local authority, the Overstrand Authority, are on top of things, then I guess you would not advocate what you're saying now, that you, you would not support them with your taxes or with your rates at a local level anyway. I think we also have to be frank about where many of the social and economic problems in South Africa originate from. And the title of my talk was The Center Cannot Hold. And as I argue, the characteristic of politics in South Africa over the last hundred years or so has been this dominance of the center. So politicians and bureaucrats in Pretoria essentially dictate policy to the rest of the country. And so a key theme that we at the Free Market Foundation are advocating is that of political decentralization so that local governments, provincial governments, and other entities are held directly accountable by the citizens in their immediate uh, regional geographic uh, jurisdiction, and that there is a very clear link between ratepayers, taxpayers, and uh, their elected officials. At the moment, that link is broken. Uh, we have a breakdown in accountability. Democracy is not just only about regular elections, it's also about those accountability mechanisms. So yes, I think it is important uh, to have mechanisms in place collectively to be able to deal with uh, external problems like floods and, and so on. But that doesn't necessarily have to be the state that provides that. I mean, we saw during the July 2021 riots in KZN, you originate from, um, the state was entirely absent. Um, there was mass breakdown of social order. But then we had uh, neighborhoods, uh, communities coming together to protect their assets. And uh, there was unfortunately a lot of loss of life and damaged property there. But the state was nowhere to be seen. And so I think taking that, that idea forward, as the state collapses, what we are seeing is this void that is being created. And nature abhors a vacuum, and that can be filled by criminal syndicates or other chaotic elements, or it could be filled by a more structured, orderly alternative. And I think it's incumbent on us South Africans to start thinking very creatively about how we create those alternative forms of order. You do say get involved. You do say support uh, civic society organizations, and you mentioned them earlier, Free Market Foundation, your own, Saka Licha, IRR, Solidarity, AfriForum, Outer, Gift to the Givers, and uh, quote, dozens of others, as you said in your speech, who they work off limited budgets. That, that's kind of a given. But one of the parts that I, I loved about your address was, and I'm going to read it to you, and I'd like you to, to just expand on it. We are governed by our inferiors. 
all the power they have is the power we perceive them to have. It is not real. Now, there are a lot of people are saying, sure, that kind of breaks a paradigm that they've believed in for many years. Yeah, so I think it, this actually speaks to the role of civil society and think tanks like the Free Market Foundation. And I think for many decades, the Free Market Foundation did excellent work advocating for policy reform, for changes, lobbying government to try and affect more rational policy outcomes. But under my leadership, what we are heading towards, theme that I'm wanting to stress is this idea of not pleading for the government to be better. You had Anthea Jeffrey on your show speaking about her excellent book, uh, The Countdown to Socialism. The government is essentially run and, and operates on software, which is essentially the National Democratic Revolution, uh, Marxist-Leninist doctrine. And policy is downstream from this ideology. That is why we are seeing uh, these uh, very damaging effects of policy, whether it's labor, BEE, uh, EWC, NHI, you name it. So what organizations like ours are seeking to achieve is to change the parameters of the discussion, to really highlight the importance of an alternative set of ideas, um, rather than trying to implore the government to be better. Uh, we, unfortunately, are at a point where we don't think that submissions to parliament, portfolio uh, committees, or polite meetings with the minister over a cup of tea are really going to affect the change we need. Uh, but that requires creating alternative forms of power, uh, which is a longer-term project in which is incumbent on all South Africans to start to build themselves. And we are seeing it. I mean, you mentioned Gift of the Givers, and that has huge popular goodwill. And that is performing a service which essentially many people would default to assuming that the state uh, ought to provide, right? But the disaster relief that you get from Gift of the Givers is world-class. And you can go through some of those other organizations uh, as well. The private security industry in South Africa uh, is is a huge national asset that we need need to protect and uh, is, is is a lot more effective than the state police. So, uh, you know, I think where South Africa is heading is a bit unclear, but this idea of the center, Pretoria, calling all of the shots and setting the terms for the discussion, I think needs to come to an end. And as I stressed in the, uh, in the speech, Organized business, big business, has a very important role to play. And one of the messages that I am conveying to big business is that it needs to withdraw its support. And if it is to offer continued support through partnership initiatives and so on, then it needs to impose certain conditions on that support. Um, so this kind of blind support of, of government's agenda, these attempts to uh, influence uh, through backroom discussions, that is not working. We're still seeing these hostile policies on the legislative agenda. So big business needs to recognize its bargaining power, significant bargaining power. It has a lot more power than it thinks it has. It is in fact government that lacks the power. And so it's not just ordinary South Africans, individuals filling potholes. Big business needs to leverage its considerable resources, its know-how and its expertise to fix some of these problems, but shouldn't rely on the government to be the leading actor. It can do these things uh, on its own. Rather, act first and uh, instead of trying to seek permission, 
You sound a bit like Rob Hersov right now when you are talking about big business being part of the problem, not part of the solution. But as you call it, avoid disaster porn. Love that. Where do you get your optimism from? Well, I get my optimism from the countless examples of ordinary South Africans coming together to solve problems themselves. And I do think generally when observing South Africa, as Jan Smuts once said, South Africa is a place where neither the best nor the worst ever happens. And I think that that's, that's quite true. But I think if you are over-optimistic or over overly pessimistic, uh, both of those extremes can lead to complacency and inaction. Uh, those are not really action-oriented types of philosophies. So what I stress is a kind of a, a, a cautious optimism that has at its core a fundamental belief in the capacity of individuals to change their own circumstances. But you also need to fight for the freedom to do that. And there are other actors, unfortunately, that are trying to take that away from you, and specifically the government. And so you need to be very realistic about where the sources of your problems are. You need to be blunt in your analysis. Uh, but then you need to translate that into positive action to affect change in your immediate locus of control, your neighborhood, your streets, your town, your city. And that is how we will change South Africa. But outsourcing it to the government and hoping that they will be better and and hoping that if you could just persuade them to adopt more market-friendly reforms, that somehow these problems will resolve themselves. That model might have worked in the past, but we're a long way off from that. How many people think like you do? Oh, well, my job is to encourage more people to think in this way. Uh, I think a lot of people are perhaps still wedded to the old model and are still hoping that there can be a turnaround. But I think the high watermark of that kind of thinking was in the run-up to President Trauracosa's ascendancy to office. I think many people thought, well, here is potentially a reformer who could help to turn this uh, ship of the ANC around. Um, and I think many people have been gravely disappointed because of that attitude. And so I think there is, as I stress in the speech, this interregnum, this idea that uh, there are many morbid symptoms, um, and in this interregnum, you know, there there is a lot of uncertainty. Uh, there is uh, an, an, a lack of clarity about what is to come. So, uh, I quote Antonio Gramsci um, in in that speech, and uh, he says that the old is dying, but the new cannot yet be born. And I think we are in that kind of interregnum. We're not sure what what the new what the new formulation looks like, but we have seen that the emperor has no clothes and that the old, the legitimacy that the ANC government once had has been lost. Um, but like I say, uh, we as ordinary South Africans have to build that future that we want to see. Don't, don't outsource your thinking anymore. Take control, take command, make yourself part of the solution, not by... Um, wafting around being part of the problem. David Ansra is the Chief Executive of the Free Market Foundation and I'm Alec Hogg from Business.com.